real lawyers, real life challenges, and of course, real results. Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. This podcast is for you if, you're, if you have your own law firm and if you have real life business management challenges with that law firm, and if you are committed to putting in the work to get real results. This podcast is not for you if your law firm is perfect and you never have any marketing or sales or management or mindset or financial challenges. If everything's just perfect, this, law, this podcast is not for you because this podcast is for real lawyers who have real challenges and we want real results. This podcast is also not for you if you are looking for a magic pill. Your law firm is a real business and it will respond in very predictable ways to certain inputs around each of the seven main parts of your law firm. Of course, if you don't know what the seven main parts of your law firm are, that's another conversation. And maybe you should really double down and listen to more episodes of this podcast so you can learn what the seven main parts of your law firm are. But if you, if, you, if you fail to pay attention to each of these seven main parts, then your law firm is not going to work very well. If you put garbage into any or all of these seven main parts or neglect any or all of these seven main parts, then what you're going to get out of your law firm is garbage. Input good stuff, get good stuff out. In each episode, we interview a real lawyer with a real law firm who was experiencing some very real challenges. The lawyer was experiencing some very real challenges because their law firm was experiencing some very real challenges. Because as we all know, if your law firm runs like crap, your life's going to probably suffer. And if your law firm runs really well, you could still live a crappy life, but at least you've got a great law firm. Anyway, we asked each lawyer who's a guest to speak openly and honestly with us about one big challenge that he or she was experiencing with their law firm how they overcame it, and what the results have been since then. And of course, we know that you want to know, so we are definitely going to ask our guests each week, and this week is no exception, we're going to ask Mario to get into some specific details about the nature of the challenge and exactly what steps he took to overcome this challenge. So our guest this week is Mario Godoy from Chicago. Welcome to the show, Mario. Hey, Arjun. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for letting me share my story. And uh, go Bears. <laughs> I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, uh, to, to, let, to let me interview you and to share, and share your story and share your solution and, and really share your courage because it took a lot of courage to do what you're going to share with everyone that you did. Uh, but before we get to that, let's start where we always start, name, rank, and serial number. Mario, what is your age? I'm 36 years old. And your relationship status? I'm currently married. Kids? Yep, we have uh, three little ones. Uh, they're seven, five, and three. Seven, five, and three. I got a three-year-old, too. They're really cute. Yes, they are. And where did, what did you study before you went to law school? Uh, so I studied information systems. Uh, which is basically database management. Uh, I did that out of Elmhurst College, uh, about 19 miles outside of Chicago. And how did you go from database management to deciding to go to law school? 
you know, so when I got out um, out of school, they really most of the jobs in my field were shipped out to India. Uh, so I found myself uh, at one point doing mortgage sales, uh, and I found that I really liked the idea of being able to help someone to uh, work through a problem uh, and get them into their home. Uh, and I was lucky enough to kind of run into a mentor at a, at a different job that, uh, you know, he kind of said, I think you could be a really good attorney. Uh, have you ever thought of school? And that's kind of what uh, gave me the idea of of moving forward and, and that, you know, furthering that education. So how long were you in mortgage sales for before you decided to go to law school? So uh, the mortgage sales, I was there for about a year. Um, before that, I had been working at careerbuilder.com for about a year and a half, two years, where, uh, you know, they did a great job of teaching me sales and of, you know, educating and constantly getting me to, to read. Uh, one of the books that was given to me, uh, you know, one of their big people that they looked at was Jack Welch. And when I read in his book about winning, he talked about not everyone comes out, you know, living their dream job, knowing exactly what they wanted to do. And, you know, he talked about, well, get as good as you can at your job. And when you move on to the next one, eliminate what you don't like from the previous one and amplify what you do like. And one day you're going to wake up and find that you're in the job that you're meant to be in. And that's kind of how I followed my career trajectory was from, from sales uh, to the mortgage lending. Uh, and then from that point, making the hop into, into law school, just amplifying that, you know, I love working with people. I like helping people resolve problems that they may or may not be able to do themselves. So this is really interesting. Um, I did not know this about you. And I think this is probably a good time for me to make a quick little disclaimer. Your law firm um, is a member of How to Manage a Small Law Firm. We function as the outside CEO. And are we also the COO and CFO of your law firm for you? Yes, you are. Okay, so we're the CEO, COO, CFO of your law firm. And what's really interesting is, you know, our typical, our typical conversation with a prospective new member is, you know, along the lines of what did you learn before you opened your law firm about the business of running a law firm? And most people really didn't study anything and they don't know marketing and they don't know sales, but you actually did know marketing and you did know sales. So just out of curiosity, what was it that you were looking for when you found your way to us? You know, I I had hit a point. I was already about five years in, um, and I think you know one of the things I I wasn't in trouble when I came out and and I sought you guys out, but I had stag I I guess not financial trouble, but I stagnated. You know, and you know I found myself working more hours, um, being homeless, and you know, just being more tired overall. And, you know, one of the fears that I had, uh, which really drove me not just to 
running my own firm, but also to make sure that I put the systems in place that it could run without me was that I would work myself either to an early death or that I would uh, find myself still hitting the ground and running the pavements in my golden years uh, because I failed to, to put together a machine that, that would continue to serve me and my family uh, through our lifetime. So, you know, people tend to find their way to how to manage a small law firm, either when they're in a state of desperation or a state of inspiration, not usually in between. You were in a state of inspiration, it sounds like. You, you already were doing quite well with your law firm by most people's standards. And um, it sounds like you were inspired to kind of grab hold of a better life, to, to use the Jack Welch lesson of, okay, what can I build into the next phase of my career? Or am I completely mistaken and you were actually motivated by desperation? I think a little bit of both. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think you kind of hit it dead on that I, I did find that I wanted more, you know, but I think that also there was some desperation in the point that I found that I was a victim of my own success. You know, the more clients that signed up meant more hours that I spent away from my family. And I, you know, I couldn't see past the trees to look at the forest. You know, I was feeling stressed out uh, basically about the future, not not economically, but as to, you know, the more successful that I got, what was this going to mean? And I think ultimately, you know, even a, a bit of a fear of failure, right? Because everything was moving in one direction. And I think that, you know, as attorneys, you know, we're, we're kind of taught in school, uh, it's almost fear failure. Uh, but when it comes to business, it seems that, you know, you kind of fail your way to success sometimes by experimenting and testing, which went against a lot of what they taught us in law school. Really good point. So just to continue on with my name, rank, and serial number, and I apologize for taking us down a little rabbit hole, but I find that stuff really fascinating. Um, where did you go to law school? So I went to John Marshall Law School uh, in Chicago, Illinois. And what did you learn in law school about the business of running a law firm? So I did actually take one course, um, which was really, you know, they did offer a course in uh, entrepreneurship. And, you know, we, we, I think if I remember, I'm looking at my library right now, we used the text flying solo, put it by the ABA. And... Mm -hmm. It was a good start um, in the sense of like, at least I walked out with a business plan. Not that it was a great business plan, <laughs> but it, you know, the, the topics covered were, you know, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to fuel me past the point of where I was uh, when I came searching for how to manage. Interesting. So you're the second person that I've interviewed, or maybe the third person I've interviewed who made reference to that book. And I actually contributed a chapter to that book back in 2000 and 1999 or 2000. So I wonder if that's oh, wow. the you have. But anyway, um, small world, right? Um, yeah, very small. 
why did you finally decide? Well, what did you do? You graduated from law school and then did you start your own law firm right away? Did you go to work somewhere else? And why did you decide to finally start your own law firm? So, you know, I was one of the uh, individuals that decided to start his law firm right off the bat. I had worked my way through school trying different internships at different law firms. Uh, I spent probably almost a good year and a half with the state's attorney clerking for them as a 7-Eleven. And, you know, when I came out of school, I kind of, I knew what my mission was. I, uh, you know, I guess part of also what drove me into, into law was that I'm an immigrant and, you know, the, the immigration process, I think that, you know, while that's not on its face, it seems fair. Uh, there are ample landmines uh, for immigrants to hit that could derail their future. Um, wait, and in my case, I wait a second. On its face, the immigration process appears to be fair. Right. On you know, they there's the there's the judge. You know, there's the they do all the all the things of due process, but it's up to the immigrant to make sure that they pick the right attorney, right? That someone that wants them uh, not just to achieve their you know their need in their future, but that is willing to kind of explain it and hand walk them through that process. And I think that that's um, a lot of folks fall into that trap. And in my particular case, you know, we had a family member that. Uh, ended up being deported uh, from the United States. And I, you know, just being a cousin of that person, I was able to see the turmoil that that caused on that side of the family, uh, just being first introduced to what that deportation process looked like. So when I graduated school, you know, I came out with the mission of being at the intersection of criminal defense and immigration law and to help my immigrant clients achieve their American dream. Okay. Um, I have to circle back to you and find out more about your, your thoughts that, I mean, see, look, I mean, I guess we're getting way sidetracked here, but asking someone who didn't go to law school isn't familiar with the, the technical requirements, is unfamiliar with, I mean, even if you grew up in this country, just if you've never been through the legal process before, it's a confusing and intimidating maze. And I don't think it's fair to ask a person who's trying to make a contribution to our country to try to navigate that on their own. And I 100% agree with you that it's critical that they pick the right immigration lawyer. And I guess we'll circle back and talk about that more later. And as you can probably tell, I have some pretty strong opinions about this. Um, <clears throat> my wife is a naturalized citizen also. Um, she was not born in this country. And she oh, makes a contribution. Okay. Anyway, long, long, long side track. Let's stick to the program. Sorry about that. So yeah, no problem. So so why did you decide to start your own law firm though instead of going to work for someone else? 
I, it had always been a dream of mine to work for myself. I knew that that was something that uh, prior to going to law school, uh, coming out of college, that that was part of my American dream, in essence, was to be able to control my own destiny. That's really you know, I had, I had seen, uh, you know, my father and my mother, I, you know, I'd seen them work so hard uh, when they came and I saw my father, uh, you know, he still actually works for a company. He's been working there for 30 plus years. And, you know, what, what I learned from watching them is that, you know, you can give your all to a company, uh, but when it's bought and sold to someone else, you're kind of a pawn on a chessboard. And I, I never wanted that for my future. So that still doesn't answer my question of why you didn't choose to go work for someone else for a little while mm -hmm. before you started your own law firm. I mean, I understand yeah, eventually you, you wanted to have mm -hmm. your own law firm, but why not camp out somewhere for, you know, a lot of lawyers say, well, you know, I want to get experience practicing law before I start my own law firm. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to just go straight into the business of running your law firm? And what do you think were some of the pros and cons of that approach as opposed to working for someone else for a few years? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when I came out, um, when I came out of school, I knew that having worked at different law firms, I knew that I did not want to work um, necessarily at a firm. I, one thing that I wanted to look at was potentially working for the state's attorney. But when I came out of school, at that point, there was a hiring freeze at the office where I was at. So I found myself deciding whether I wanted to start my firm uh, or whether I would start looking for a job. Um, but before that, you know, I, I'd, I'd worked on preparing myself, right. Cause I, I'd gone through, I had, I knew I had the ability to speak to people, to convert them into clients, to help them through a process. Um, aside from that, I had taken a, a law school course, an entrepreneurship course. I had done my clerkship. I had tried cases already. Granted, they were misdemeanor cases, but I had tried cases by the time I got out. So, you know, what I found was that if I'd gone to work for someone, really what I was going there for was almost to just get the mentorship, right? Uh, I was lucky enough that I kind of thought outside of the box in that scenario. And I started making phone calls before, right after I took the bar exam. And before I got licensed, I was probably calling 40, 50 different lawyers a day. And I eventually found two lawyers that became my guardian angels. Um, one of them in criminal defense that said that he would take me under my wing. And, you know, to this day, you know, we still, you know, have a very close relationship. Um, he saw a lot of himself in me, I think, in the sense that we both came out of the same law school and we were both starting our business right out of law school. And I found a wonderful immigration attorney that I still collaborate to to this day that was willing to teach me the ropes of immigration law to overview my work, to make sure that when everything went out, that it was correct. So having the mentors in place, uh, knowing that 
I was confident enough that I would be able to find clients, uh, I took the leap. And you just called them and said, hi, I just graduated from law school and I'm looking for a mentor. Or what did you say that got that, that got this going for you? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much I, I called people. I would uh, I dialed them right up, uh, introduced myself, let them know that you know I'd been clerking with the state's attorney, that I was thinking of going out on my own, and if I could have five minutes of their time to see if they can give me any knowledge uh, as far as pitfalls to avoid or or you know some tips as to how to get started. And there were plenty of people that told me, you need to go get a job. You need to go work for someone. And I was lucky enough to find uh, a smaller number that were out there that said, absolutely, I'd be happy to meet with you and help you in any way that I can. And that's you know, part I of the reason why. That, I'm sorry? No, I was saying that's part of the reason why you know I jumped the chance to, to be able to be here today because I feel that a lot of my success, I have to pay it forward also. And you um, know, I'm happy to like give anyone any knowledge that they are able to gather from, from my experiences too. You know, I, I find that the most successful people in any field are always the most generous and open and encouraging with people who have the courage to ask you know, for help with some humility and just put yourself out there. Did you find any correlation between how successful the people were and how open and receptive they were to helping you versus the people who are trying to scratch out a meager existence who, who, you know, who were, were they as helpful? Yeah. I mean, I think absolutely you're right. Um, they were, their successes within their definition of success, I think. Um, not everyone, you know, one of the things that I've learned, I think, over time is that, you know, not everyone wants to really own a law business. Some people are happy to just be practitioners and to run things a little bit better and more efficiently. Um, I was lucky enough that my mentors were great practitioners and still are, and that the phone continues to ring for them. But I don't know that at the point where I was, I wanted to build a law business. And that's not, that wasn't within their, that wasn't within what their want was for their lives. So I think, uh, you know, finding the right mentors, and that's kind of what kind of led me to, to how to manage was to try and find the right environment uh, to, to put myself in so that I could continue growing again. And that really leads us to what you came onto the show to share, the challenge that you were experiencing. And I have, I have one more name and rank and serial number question to ask you so we can get into some numbers, revenue numbers, just so people listening to this can put your your ideas and advice into perspective. Uh, but before we get to talking about your revenue in your firm this year, last year, and so on, um, let's just give everyone a heads up what the challenge is you came onto the show to share, the challenge you were experiencing, and then we'll talk about the solution you came up with for that challenge and what you can suggest to other people 
who might find that they're experiencing a similar challenge? Yeah, so I think challenge-wise, I was feeling stressed out about the future, right? Uh, my growth had stagnated in the sense of uh, I was hitting a point where every system within my firm was breaking down. And there was partially, uh, you know, a fear of failure, right? Because I, I had experienced a moderate amount of success. And I had at one point regrown my practice uh, to where, you know, I was doing very well financially. But I was seeing that I was spending more and more time at my firm. I was more and more agitated. Um, I was unwilling to make the changes that I needed to make in order to continue growing. Um, and I think that kind of stemmed out of, uh, you know, potentially like a fear of failure and, and just not being in the right environment at that point. So that that's what I would say the challenge would be um, at some point. Just to put a label on it, right. the challenge is that your revenues were stagnating. You were working right. more hours to make the same money and you were having a lot of stress and anxiety about, you know, seeing the handwriting on the wall and the handwriting told the story of Mario becoming neglectful to his family and burning out if he didn't start making some changes. Don't let me put words in your mouth, but I think that's, that's what I'm hearing. I think you're, yeah, that's absolutely right. And dead on, I think, uh, I think everyone at some point reaches, they'll reach a plateau as far as how far they're able to grow their business. And until someone invests in their personal growth, um, it would really, you know, it really constrains your ability to grow, right? And growth is not always just financially. Growth can also mean uh, becoming more efficient, becoming more effective, uh, you know, turning that story around of, uh, of where I thought I was headed. And there's lots of ways to measure financial growth. There's not just gross revenue. There's also growing gross margins. There's also growing net income. There's also growing how many days or weeks or months you could be away from the firm with emergency access only and everything keeps working, which is a growth of sustainability. There's a growth of confidence. There's a growth in care, uh, clarity. Uh, there's a growth in just how much fun you're having. There's all kinds of ways to grow your business. So your challenge was that financially it was doing good. The growth had stagnated. The financial growth had stagnated, but it stagnated at a place where I think a lot of lawyers listening to this wouldn't mind stagnating. Um, and, and, uh, you know, maybe even some of them think, wow, you know, they, they'd love to stagnate where you stagnated. Um, but you were, you were having some other growth challenges in your personal life because of what the firm was taking out of you. Is that, is that right? That's correct. Say? You know, I'd given it, you know, I'd given it my all, right. I, you know, I think any entrepreneur out there knows that, right. You give, you almost end up living for your business, but you know, the, the business is supposed to really help you live, right? It's, it's the other way around is the way it should be. Um, and I found myself almost living just to serve this business, hand, you know, almost shackled into uh, the success that we had 
we had achieved. And as you mentioned earlier, the more success you had, the more the more of a prisoner you became. Absolutely. So let's put some numbers to it. Um, you have had your own law firm for five years now. Is that right? Uh, pretty much since, yeah, I, I, you know, I would say I've been in, so I got licensed in 2010. And then I had two partners for a little bit for a stint until 2013. And really 2014 was my, both partners were gone. And I basically rebuilt my firm. So is like it I fair re- to say that it's the same firm in 14 that it was in 13, or is it for all practical purposes a different it's firm? Different. It's a different firm. Okay, so the firm really started in 2014 as a true single shareholder, solo, small law firm owner. Correct. Okay, and what were the revenues in 14, first years running this firm? Uh, we were at 385000 Okay, to put this in perspective, what were the revenues in 12 and 13 when you had partners? Because obviously you got a little bit of a jump start. So 12 was 484000 In 2013, we finished at 526 And 526 sounds great until you think that's divided three ways. Well, what's left of it, right? Because you, you also had, a, you know, we had staff and other business expenses. So absolutely right. It it wasn't that great. I mean, when I look at three lawyers running a $526,000 law firm, I see three $175,000 law firms. Right. Okay. So the way I look at it is you went from having a $175,000 law firm with two guys who had each also a $175,000 law firm. And your first full year in business, you grew that to $385,000 by yourself. So you went from 175 to 385. Am I, am I oversimplifying this? No, I think that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. Okay. So then 15, what'd you do in your second year? Second year, we grew to 457,000. In 16, we grew to 525,000. Now, that was a big year for me. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And you're probably kicking yourself that you didn't make $2,000 more. (laughs) Right. Just think of all the things you could have done to make an extra $2,000 throughout the year to be able to say that you did $527,000 when you and your partners together only did 526. Right. No, we were, we were very, you know, that was a big year. You know, that was, that was the year that I really started saying that, um, you know, what I'd done at that point was I actually created a workflow document where I started carbon copying almost how I, I would handle an immigration case and, you know, really starting to utilize my staff to help me build my cases up. And by carbon copying, I just want to make sure that we're really clear. You mean the the routine replica, you know, the stuff that just gets repeated, 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 not the strategy for the client, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I would I would always do the strategy, but 
you know, the the obtaining of documents, right? The obtain pulling the information from the documents and putting them into uh, into the different applications that I would then start reviewing. Um, that made a huge difference in the amount of uh, cases that I was able to work through. Because a lot of lawyers, when they start hearing that you systematize things and you and you streamline things, they think, oh, well, there goes all the creativity. There goes all the all the brilliant parts. I'm just going to make this the lowest common denominator. But no, it, it's by systematizing that stuff, you actually get more time and more energy to be brilliant at the stuff that needs real creativity, right? Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I became... I started to become a much better lawyer at that level because they, you know, just like any attorney, uh, there's a good, there's a great book called Outliers, I think, that they talk about. Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. You know, right, 10,000 hours, right? 10,000 hours to become great at something. Um, I was just speeding through cases, you know, not just strategizing them, but going through and seeing the different permutations of issues that were out there. And because I was no longer collecting documents or filing things personally, I had more time to research the answers to those. Right. I mean, we all have a limited, finite amount of energy and create, you know, create energy and attention. And if your energy and attention is being used up on stuff that doesn't really require a whole lot of creativity, then you get to the part where the creativity is required and the fun parts and you're dull from just banging your axe against concrete. Right. All right. So 16 was 2016 was 525. That would have been your, I'm going to say your first, second, third, I'm going to count 2016 as your fourth year. Cause I want to count 2013 as 175,000. Okay. If you, if you'll indulge me. Yep, absolutely. So first, so $175,000 gross revenue in 2013, $385,000 in 2014, $457,000 in 2015, $525,000 in 2016, 2017, $702,000. $702,000. And just for the record, this is now November uh, 2018, uh, we're actually past the midpoint of November 2018. What do you think this year is going to wrap up at? Uh, we'll finish between 700 to 715,000. Okay, so still around $700,000 this year. Correct. But okay. a completely different law firm, I think. And uh, how so? And a much happier lawyer. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the challenges of the environment before was that, you know, I was a bottleneck, right? I was a bottleneck in my own company, right? Um, you know, everything had to go through my eyes. Everything needed to have my final touch on it. Um, and I think it was really uh, almost a practitioner's uh, mentality. And when I started putting myself into the environment of, of meeting other how to manage members, uh, reading different books in 
frankly, doing strategic planning every 90 days. So my, you know, what are the next 90 days going to look like? I started seeing that I went from working, I'd say 58 to 60 hours a week. Um, you know, right now, this past month, I, mean, I would say I'm putting in about 45 hours a week. I used to work every weekend. Um, this past month, I worked one weekend, and I will not work any other weekends. And that's that's my life now, where within 40 to 48 hours in a week, I'm earning what I used to earn. And, and really what I've done is, you know, I've added on other attorneys um, and other staff. Uh, I've made, you know, frequent changes that have allowed me to uh, buy my time back, in essence. And, you know, today, to give you an example, I, I spent time working on my business. Um, I got to work on a pro bono case at the firm's handling. And then I went to my kids' uh, parent-teacher conference in the middle of the day, hung out with my three-year-old and my wife for a little bit. Uh, I'm here now, you know, pleasurably doing this interview. And I'll be leaving at five o'clock today uh, to go see my kids and have dinner at home with my family. So it's a completely different life uh, that I'm almost pinching myself that I'm living right now. And I think oh. that next year, we're going to do significantly better than 700000 Without having to work more because now you've got the systems working for you. Yes. Absolutely. How did that feel doing a pro bono case now versus doing pro bono cases in the past when more work just meant more work? Right. I mean, I wasn't burying myself back under another case, right? And especially a case where I was earning no income. Um, in fact, now I think, well, a couple of years ago, I, you know, I started co-chairing uh, so in Chicago, so in immigration court, kind of going back to that due process and uh, the fairness, an immigrant's allowed to have an attorney, but even though the immigrant's jailed and will have no access to people in most instances, um, the government will not provide for an attorney. In fact, only 15% of detained immigrants will ever speak to an attorney. So. I now head, um, along with one of the big non-for-profits in Chicago, the American Immigration Lawyers' efforts in Chicago to provide pro bono representation for these people. Uh, last year, we placed 22 people with 22 different attorneys. I probably trained over 200 attorneys at how to do a bond hearing. Um, in fact, last week, I, we just did another training and, you know, we, we picked up, I think, another good 10, 10 volunteers. So it's been great. You know, the putting the systems in place has allowed me to amplify my message of helping immigrants to achieve their American dream. And how is this 
new way of running your law from affecting your life at home? It's an on up. You know, I think, uh, you know, in, in kind of talking about this interview, you know, my wife says I'm definitely a different person than what I was a year ago as far as, you know, self-confidence um, and then the ability to, to continue pushing forward. I think that as an entrepreneur, um, just kind of by being in that how to manage environment, I've also begun to grow and, you know, realize that, you know, entrepreneurship is not perfect, right? We, we all achieve for these perfect scenarios, but it's not, you know, it's chaotic. It's constant movement. Um, and you got to have the self-confidence that you're going to learn from that change and take advantage of it and move forward. So the challenge, just to recap before we get to the solution, uh, spoiler alert for everyone, the solution that Mario was going to share is not just going to be engage how to manage small law firm. He's going to share some real practical stuff that you can implement, even if you're not a member of how to manage a small law firm, even if your firm is never going to become a member of how to manage a small law firm. In fact, uh, depending on when you listen to this, we may not even be accepting any more engagements for members of how to manage a small law firm. So that's not what this is about. This is really about, just like Mario, just like you were able to give you know, pay it forward and give something back because you built a business that works for you. That's kind of what this, this, this podcast is for me. It's my way of being able to share solutions with lawyers, many of whom for a variety of reasons will never get a chance to work with me and I'll never get a chance to work with them, but I still want to try to make a contribution and help people because, you know, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for a lot of generosity from a whole lot of people who had a whole lot of patience with me. Um, so just, just to recap, what's the challenge and then let's get right into the solution. So the challenge is that growth had stagnated, right? I'd gone as far as I could go and, you know, I was feeling stressed about what my future was going to be. I kind of saw it going downhill. Um, what do you say to the lawyers who are listening to this and maybe their revenues are still at 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, and they think to themselves, and maybe they would say to you if they saw you, you know, oh, cry me a river, you know, you, you, you stagnated at $700,000, poor you. What do you say to them who say, I'll get to $700,000 and then I'll worry about creating processes and systems and procedures? Right. Uh, well, you know, I think that you need to create it as long as, as you go, right? You can live, you can live a better future and be really almost the best version of yourself if you start to put in the work now, right? Um, growth and I think, you know, entrepreneurship, it's about constant movement, right? We're all waiting for the perfect, you know, when, I don't know if you ever did, uh, did baseball, but you know, you're always told to only swing at the perfect pitch, right? And if you spend your life waiting to swing at that perfect pitch, your life's going to pass you by. Right? Your kids are going to grow up. Um, you know, your health could deteriorate. 
you know, the, the life that we're meant to live will pass you by if you don't, if you don't take action today. Like there's no need, there's no need to continue tolerating an existence um, when you choose to live instead. profound words and I don't mean that to be sarcastic that's really important stuff that people I, I really hope people are listening to that and you know even if only one person ever hears that and I'm sure more than just one people will one person will but even if only one person ever heard that and it changed their life and it changed the lives of their children and their grandchildren I mean that that would be huge um, so what is the solution that you came up with and what is a solution that other lawyers listening to this right now who might be stagnating with their growth, and maybe they're stagnating at $200,000 in gross revenue, maybe they're stagnating at $2 million in gross revenue, uh, what, what and, and not just stagnating in growth, mm -hmm. but also you know, working more hours to, to, to do all that. What is a solution that you came up with or that you discovered that others could implement too? So I, I would give everyone a, a three-part, well, maybe a four-part solution, right? A four-part solution. So the first one is, I think, a dedication to studying entrepreneurship, um, not just from an attorney's point of view, but opening yourself up to reading books written by different types of professionals. There's always ideas that you can backtrack and make them work for your law firm. The, uh, the other thing would be really changing your environment, right? Surrounding yourself with positive people, and not just positive people, but people that want to improve themselves, that want to better their firms, that want to better the world. And they're out there. I mean, I know that we'll go to a lot of bar associations and, you know, we're we're surrounded by people that have been beat up by life uh, that have succumbed to, to life basically. But I got to tell you, I, I know not just in the how to manage community, but there, there are people that are out probably within your own community. Uh, so just trying to link up with them. Uh, and the other one is, you know, the accountability of, of strategic planning, uh, put together a business plan that, you know, I, I had a business plan, that I put together when I first started my firm and, you know, I basically put it away and didn't really look at it for about four or five years. And then once I started examining my business plan every year, actually more than once a year, um, things started turning around. And especially if you could take that business plan and then break it down to some 90 day goals every quarter um, and making sure that that business plan and that those goals are aligned with what you want to do in life. Um, that might be the most profoundest thing I could, I could share is, you know, taking a step back and asking yourself, am I living the life that I was meant to live, that I want to live? And, you know, once you figure out what that life is, start building your business around that. All right, so the four steps, the four things that you did that any lawyer really listening to this could do is one, study entrepreneurship, 
uh, read books about business, read books about marketing, read books about entrepreneurship. Uh, any favorite books? Any any books you suggest they start with? Uh, so you know, I would say that I would look at one book that this year I really enjoyed was Profit First um, by Mike Makowitz. He uh, he actually uh, Halitz, sorry. And he also did. Uh, I'm going through one right now called Clockwork uh, that he wrote. Um, I really enjoyed the book Traction by I think it's Gino Wickman. And then Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. You can also get Think and Grow Rich for Lawyers on iTunes by uh, a certain someone we both know. Absolutely. Our John does a wonderful rendition of the text. And, you know, he gave, uh, there's a lot of nice, uh, one thing, our John, that I liked about it was where you were able to connect that to what it meant for a law firm. Thank you. Uh, you know, aside from that, I, you know, learning from other people, right? So I, I looked at, uh, you know, American Icon, you know, that talked about Ford and the turnaround at Ford. Uh, you know, just read about others, you know, not just, uh, oh, and I think one big one too is um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And then the E-Myth Revisited, or the E-Myth just in general by Michael Gerber. Oh, no, the E-Myth Revisited is so much better. Yeah, it was pretty good. <clears throat> yeah, there's, did you, you know, read the a couple E-Myth there. Attorney? I did. Did read that. I think that Would was the you first care one to compare read. and contrast the E-Myth Revisited versus the E-Myth Attorney? Um, the E-Myth Attorney, I think, was interesting, right, because they broke it down to what it would look like for a law firm. Um, I remember I took a voracious amount of notes when I was listening to that. Um, I was A lot of the times, I'll say just books using Audible. Uh, but the E-Myth Revisited was just, you know, it was great because it, you know, kind of gave you some small visionettes about what was going on in someone's business and then breaking it further down. Um, I would definitely say you, you want, you do want to listen to the E-Myth Revisited. I don't know. What did you like? Any particular thing that you remember I think the from E-Myth that revisited, I think the E-Myth Revisited is actually more practical and helpful to the owner of a small law firm than the E-Myth attorney. Uh, I thought the E-Myth attorney had some really interesting points, but I think that the E-Myth concept, it's a relatively simple concept. And I like the purity of the concept in the, in the revisited book. And when it came to the E-Myth attorney, it seemed like they took that pure, simple, pretty direct concept and sort of fattened it up with a whole bunch of stuff that, in my opinion, didn't need to be there. Right. Uh, Yeah, you're right. I think, yeah, the E-Myth was probably a little bit of a clearer message uh, on the E-Myth Revisited. Uh, Another book that I really enjoyed that I I had someone at at my house for a private VIP day, and he asked me for um, three, he said, if you could only pick three books, and of course, you got to keep in mind, you're in my conference room, and there's mm-hmm. like bookshelves from the floor to the ceiling, and, <laughs> and not many law books. They're all business books, mindset books, you know, books that have shaped my life. 
And he said, if you had to pick three books to recommend to a new entrepreneur, what three books would you recommend? And he was convinced that I was going to uh, say Think and Grow Rich because I love that book. Um, But um, I think Think and Grow Rich is like a little thick for a new entrepreneur. And by thick, I don't mean too many pages. It's not a big book. It's just, that's a, it's not an easy book to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I had, uh, in my case, you know, it took me, it really probably took me a year to digest because I would have to go back, read it, kind of come back, read it again, reread different parts <laughs> of it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely, I think, the foundation for a lot of these books that have been written by these other le- these other thought leaders. A lot oh, of them sure. I mean, kind of hone in on that 1937. It's, it's like there's the before and after of the business book world, before and after Think and Grow Rich. And that's part of the reason that I made the podcast, Think and Grow Rich for Lawyers, is because I wanted it to be more accessible to people. But the three books that I actually suggested um, for a brand new entrepreneur are, uh, and not necessarily in this, well, I guess yes, in this order. One is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I think that's mandatory reading to really get clear on your mindset so that your business doesn't mess up your head. Absolutely. Um, two is uh, what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School by Mark McCormick. Yeah, Wonderful. The original, great, great. The original starter of that industry, right? Yeah, he's a brilliant. And he wrote another book that is also pretty awesome, What They Don't Teach You at Yale Law School. But, but they don't teach you Harvard Business School. It just teaches you how to, how to be like a real person in business, just a real authentic to mm-hmm. be yourself and be who you are, and make it work for you. I thought it was brilliant. I read that when I was in college. And then mm-hmm. uh, How to Read a Financial Report, Ringing Vital Signs Out of the Numbers by John Tracy. Um, mandatory reading for anyone who presumes to understand. If you're going to presume to care about making profits from your law firm, and have control over your financials, you've got to read How to Read a Financial Report. That's the book we used as our textbook for that financial literacy mm-hmm. program we did. Okay. Um, we gave copies of that to everyone. All right. and, and I think, right, you know, so, one, thing, one thing also to keep in oh, mind is it, for anyone, I, I think one of the key things to my success when I went through is that I measured and tracked, like I have meticulous excels. Like even if, even if it's not like, the proper way to do it, just tracking something and then being able to look at it back during the year will allow you to avoid a lot of unnecessary mistakes and to make some wise investments. Yeah. And, you know, that's what our dashboard is all about. Or did you participate mm-hmm. in the dashboard challenge? We did. Yeah. We, uh, Are you in the second board. dashboard challenge? Uh, yes, we are in the second dashboard challenge. It's amazing. So what one. gets measured gets better. And that which gets un- – and the things you don't measure. It's like if you don't care enough about it to measure it, then why should you be surprised that the universe doesn't care about it either? Right. All right. So we got to wrap this thing up. This has been a really great interview. This is very different from any of the others in this series. And um, it's now making me think that maybe I should do a book club kind of interview and talk about some awesome books with great entrepreneurs. This has been really fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. So Mario, um, 
all things being equal, I am in a position to refer business to an immigration lawyer. And I have a choice of referring business to the owner of an immigration law firm that is struggling financially and the owner is working 60 and 70 hours a week and he or she has three young kids at home who never see them and a spouse who is you know, probably not too happy about that um, and they're stressed out versus an equally brilliant immigration lawyer who has a law firm with a business plan and financial controls, and processes, and systems, and procedures like you've described, and they're working 40, 45 hours a week, and they're not working on the weekends, and they're able to go be there for their kids, for their parent-teacher conference and all that. Um, obviously, this is, <laughs> obviously, this is a leading question. Um, which law firm should I refer the business to? And most right. important, why? Aside from uh, who knows the judge, right? <laughs> um, yeah. All joking aside. They both know the judge. Yeah, they both know the judge. You know, all joking aside, you know, I, I would say that it's the latter. I mean, it's clearly the latter. And, and I'll tell you why. I have some deportation cases that we took the clients on in 2012. And I made a promise to that person in 2012 that I would be there at their final court date, right? So if you, if you send this to someone who is mismanaging their business, who can burn out at any moment, you know, you're, you're disservicing the person because unfortunately with the broken immigration system that we have, you know, cases are taking years, They're taking years to, to figure out. Uh, so when I take a case from someone, you know, not only am I promising to figure out what that strategy is up front, but I'm promising that someone will be there with them throughout the way and that we will see the problem through. Right. And that could take years. So who do you think has a better chance of having a business that survives years? Right. They say most businesses fold within five years. And the ones that make it, another majority of them fold within 10 years. You know, I think someone that has set the right systems in place will have a better chance of arriving at that end date and helping that, helping that client out. That is not the answer I was expecting you to give, but I agree with everything you just said. The question, the answer I was expecting you to give is the lawyer who just had a big fight with his or her wife when he said, I can't be there for our child's parent-teacher conference because I'm going to be working in a law firm and I'll also be working late again and I'll also be working on the weekends again so I can't go to the play date either. And then that lawyer sits down to work up the strategy at the front of the case. I don't think that lawyer is going to be, you know, how could you be in your best state of mind with your most creativity and your most inspiration when you're living that way versus the lawyer who is working more reasonable hours, who is getting refreshed and recharged and reinvigorated by, you know, a happy home life 
and stability with cash flow and everything else, you know, that's the person who I want really thinking up the strategy on the front end of the case. Absolutely. They're both correct. No. I just yeah. wasn't expecting, I was expecting you to focus more on the front end of right. the answer. But yeah. What do you think about the front end question, the front end part that I just mentioned? Absolutely. Every day. Every day, I would say that you want to send it to that attorney. Uh, because in, you got to kind of, you know, one of the things I always tell people uh, when I meet with other attorneys that I try to help out along the way or that come to me for some help is that we have to take care of ourselves before we can really give a hand up to someone else. And I think, Arjun, your answer really exemplifies that you know, that attorney who, who has those systems in place that is rejuvenated, they're going to do a better job overall for their client. How, I mean, yeah, I mean, because we're human beings, you know, people want to pretend like we're, like they can separate the, the legal practice from being a human being and a parent and a spouse, but we can't, we're all, we're just one person. And, um, just such a such a real pleasure for me to get to speak to people like you and know that I'm that I'm able to be part of this magnifying effect because I help you run a better law firm that gives you and your family a better life and so you're able to show up and do a better job for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients every year and you know, multiply that by 300 plus law firms that we run. And, you know, it's just, it's just such a wonderful life to get to see all of these, all these positive impacts that we're all having. And, and now here you are paying it forward and helping me by being a guest on this show to help other lawyers. And, you know, if, if you were still grinding, if you were still getting ground to a pulp by your law firm, you wouldn't be able to be here or you wouldn't want to be here. And so I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. I was going to say your busy day, but it doesn't sound like your day is so busy. It sounds like a great day. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful life, not just a movie. <laughs> I appreciate your um, time. And, any, and anyone else out there can have it. Anyone else out there can have that life. You just got to seize it. It really, it really can. So listen, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And um, if any lawyers are listening to this and they want to get in touch with you, maybe they want to make a referral to you, what's the best way for them to track down? What is your website? Uh, my website is GodoyLawOffice.com. So that's G-O-D-O-Y LawOffice.com. G-O-D-O, G like in... Go. Go. O. D O, like in do. Mm -hmm. Y, the letter Y. Right. Law office. Dot com. com. Go doy law firm dot com. Go doy law firm dot com. Excellent. Dot com. Yep. Thank you so much and um, have a great day. Yeah. Thanks, all right, John.